Hey guys, welcome to Minefields. I got a very special guest, as usual. I don't ever have non-special people on my show. I got Mr. Captain Stevens here, current Colorado Springs champion. How you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm doing great, buddy. I'm doing great. Man, I'm so glad you you wanted to be on the show, man. I was actually I was very flattered when you asked. Like that was like I've, I've, all, I've honestly been wondering how to approach you because. Uh, uh, I don't know everyone as well as I know everybody, and uh, I wanted to make sure I didn't. Like, hey, you want to be my podcast? <laughs> mm. yeah. uh, it's no worries, man. I just I saw you happen on different people, and I got really interested, especially because of things you know, kind of outside of the ring that you guys seem to talk about and stuff. So it just kind of really made me excited because I like talking about that kind of those kind of things with people. You know, I like I like the nerd the nerddom and. And comics, manga, anime, card games, board games, all that stuff. No, I, I love it too, man. It's pretty much the only thing I, I ever want to talk about is comic books, wrestling, movies, Star Trek. Uh, anything else, I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and it's so fascinating to me that today we're able to mix that with wrestling. You know, like you have the New Day coming out as Dragon Ball Z characters. Yep. Uh, for the longest time, Cody Rhodes had the Legend of Zelda Triforce on his boots. So to me, it's like this this huge, just awesome time when we can combine nerddoms in in different places. It's just wonderful. That's actually the whole genesis of how this happened. Uh, me and my best friend Colin, we were I was cruising around on the phone with him. And he was like, "Why don't Why don't we fucking record this? We could do a podcast." We just spent an hour and a half talking about eight comic books, and and then we started just doing comics. And then I'm a huge wrestling fan. I was like, it just made sense because. You guys are real life superheroes. It makes perfect sense. Um, one thing that really sticks out, though, to me, though, is how uh, you and I are, are relative uh, same in age, or at least in the same generation. That this sort of stuff was not okay to talk about back in the day. No, no, no. I, I remember being a kid, and you know, talking about wrestling was kind of taboo. Uh, when I was real little, it got, it got a little different when I got into middle school and it really hit that, that like popularity spike with the attitude era. Yeah. And then like, you did, you still didn't talk about like the fact that you play, that you played Pokemon or magic or, or read comic books. You, you didn't talk about that because you just knew that at some point somebody was going to overhear you and you were going to get bullied for it. Absolutely. Or, or the, I remember I was having a discussion with my friends, like we had, we had, we had a decision to make. We could either get laid, or we could read comic books and watch wrestling and play D anD D. And I picked comic books and wrestling. <laughs> like it, it, it was, it was. It, high school was a little difficult, but at the same time, though, I, it was a rush to get to my friends that were into D anD D and that we would we would play together. It was like that's all that mattered. It, like I would, I would have endured ten times more, knowing that that was still waiting for me. You know? Yeah. Where did you grow up? I actually grew up in uh, all throughout the little northern Denver metro area, so like Westminster, Thornton, North Glen area. That's where I spent most of my time. Uh, what year did you graduate from high school, if you don't mind me asking? 2005. I, I, wow, okay, I'm older than you. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I graduated in 2000. Um, I was thinking about that because you were talking about Pokemon. Like, I remember when the Dragon Ball first came on TV. I actually... I remember well, the first taste of anime I got was Sailor. I was up early one Saturday morning, and Sailor Moon came on, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> it, it was 
it was so different. I could tell it was from a different country. And then next thing I knew, I was waking up at six in the morning on Saturdays to watch Sailor Moon for twenty five minutes. <laughs> How'd you find it? Oh, I uh, I remember my first taste as well. And uh, my dad actually was the one that found it. It was uh, a show that used to air either before or after Sailor Moon. Like if, as I remember, it came on before, and it was a show called Ronin Warriors. Oh yeah. And uh, it, it was this, just these guys that had like this like, space samurai suits and stuff. It was really cool. How did you how, how did you get more of it? Like for for me, like I it was like around like ninety. I want to say ninety four. Finding Sailor Moon in the morning, and then finding out on, in the summer, Sci Fi would have like a anime marathon, but only at midnight for one or two movies a night for a week, and then that was it for the year. Man, I remember that getting an anime was like really, really hard back in the day because like they didn't air a lot of it on television. Uh, it wasn't until around '99 that you could actually watch more anime on television. Like they had little snippets of, like, Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that afterwards, but I remember one of the first shows after Ronin Warriors that I really got into that's classified as anime is Pokemon, because they used to air it on, uh, what was it, like, Kids WB every Saturday morning. Right, I remember that. My sister was watching it. Like, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was, like, right at that cusp where it was just a little too kid kitty for me, and, but Dragon Ball Z was just right. <laughs> Just right. Yeah, I didn't get into DBZ until after I was watching Pokemon. So, and then because uh, it's crazy for me is remembering you know how hard it was to find not only anime on TV but like DVDs and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but uh, GameStop and EB Games and stuff like that when they first came out in the early two thousands used to have a DVD section. I remember. And it was and it was super super small, and on occasion you would find some anime in there, and it was all from like most of it was from a production company called uh, ADV Films. Mm-hmm. And the only other places you could really find anime back then were like Best Buy or Suncoast Video. Oh man! And it was like super super hard to find this stuff, and expensive as hell too. Oh, no, don't even, it's still expensive, man. Uh, just check some of the anime websites, like Funimation or uh, Sentai Filmworks. Mm-hmm. Get Blu-rays of stuff now. You're looking at, like, anywhere between 50 and 80 bucks, and that's not even for special editions. My, uh, my Fooly Cooly set, uh, I have the three, uh, the, the three DVD set. That, that's worth a good $98, just for the three yeah. DVDs. And I got lucky. I was at the Colorado Springs uh, flea market on my birthday one day, and uh, I was with my with my family. I was like maybe like God, I was probably like thirty three, and just hanging out with them for the day. And some dude just happened to have a bunch of collectibles. And the main that that dude he was he knew the prices to everything, but for some reason he wasn't there when I walked past. Just his wife, and I said, "How much for these DVDs?" She's like, "I don't know, eight bucks." And pfft, Here's a keep the change. <laughs> Give her a ten. Keep the change. Shut up and take my money. Yeah, shut up and take the money. These are my fully cooly DVDs. That's my. That's actually my favorite one. Um, right. So. Uh, go ahead. My favorite is probably still Cowboy Bebop. Did you ever, actually? I never was able to make it through it. Not because I didn't want to, but it was just so much. Man, 
I'll be honest. If, if, if you're listening and you don't watch anime, you've never watched anime, but you've been curious, start with Cowboy Bebop. It is like the quintessential anime. I agree. And it is easiest to start with, believe it or not. Uh, I can. I would say a close runner-up would be Bleach or Naruto. Me? I, I, I have such a hard time uh, suggesting those anime because they're shown in animes. Mm-hmm. And it really, it's, it's a time commitment because you have to, it's all like 180 episodes Correct. or 240 episodes or if we're watching One Piece, you know, 938 episodes. I was literally about to say One Piece about that one, man. Like, uh, did <laughs> yeah, you? I'm 500 episodes deep in that one. <laughs> I, I, uh, okay, I can see you being in One Piece. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, do, do you uh, take any uh, any inspiration for uh, for your gimmick character from One Piece? I mean, they're they're pirates. They're out in the sea, man. You know, it's actually kind of crazy. I am I am planning something like One Piece related, but I can admit that through my gimmick, through my character, I I was thinking of a pirate, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't Steve the pirate from Dodgeball. It wasn't One Piece. It wasn't. Uh, uh, oh, who was it? Uh, Pirate Paul Virchel. Those thoughts never crossed my mind. I was always thinking uh, Captain Barbosa from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And I don't know if you remember this, but back in the early 90s, uh, a partner company through Disney, uh, I think it was called Buena Vista Films, mm-hmm. uh, they released a Three Musketeers movie. With uh, uh, Keith or Sutherland? Yeah, with Keith or Sutherland, uh, Oliver Platt, and um, Mark, or Charlie Sheen, and Chris O'Donnell. That was a good movie. I love that movie. I at least watch it once a year. At least. <laughs> and I always think of Porthos the Pirate when I, I put my stuff together. When I first saw you was at a like okay so I found out about CSW back in January of 2018 and I was dying to go but the the January show was a memorial for some dude named Chris that was really important and I'm not that's that was what was in my head at the moment not now um, I was like well shit man like this is the wrestling community I, I feel like like I wanted to go but I like I saw everyone just like pouring their heart out about how much they love Chris. And I was like, man, I can't go to the show. It'd be like crashing a funeral or something like that. Like, these are wrestlers. These are, they're, they're, they're like this, you know? Like, who's this asshole that showed up and, and you know, like, and we're glad he's here, but at the same time, like, you know, you don't, you don't know what we feel. So I, I didn't go to that one. I went to the February show. And that's where I first saw you. And when you came out to Aelstrom, I was like, if you'd have come out to anything else, because I'm, I'm pretty iffy with pirates. If you'd have come out to anything else, a metal pirate that was, uh, I couldn't tell if you're a face or a heel. And you were working the crowd for the kids. You were screaming at the parents. And you were throwing down. It was, uh, it was a blast to see you then, man. Like, I, I had a really good impression for you. Like, and it's only gotten better. And by the way, listeners, he's the current Colorado Springs champion, by the way. <laughs> oh. Oh, it feels so good. After three years, man, it feels so good. Where do you keep the belt? Is it, do you put it? Do you sleep in bed with it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that obsessed yet. <laughs> hmm. 
You got it like No, I think I got home from the last show at about two thirty, almost three o'clock, so I think it might still be in my car. <laughs> You're gonna pull a Jericho, man. <laughs> You're gonna get to your car and someone robbed you. You're gonna find it on the side of the street because someone's gonna get scared they're gonna sell it and get in trouble. Oh no, if I'm being honest, I I live in a like a suburban neighborhood with like a bunch of old people. Hmm. Some it's really people. weird actually. <laughs> What were you, what, why did it take you so long to get home, Dan? I, I got home at 12. Did I miss a party? <laughs> no, maybe. <laughs> but you probably also live closer to the show, don't you? No, I live in I live in, uh, uh, I live in Stetson Hills, man. I live like a solid 30 minutes away. Yeah, I live an hour 30 minutes away. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, that's what. Okay, never mind. <laughs> no, you, yeah, you, you're in Denver. And, so. and I had to drop off three people, like two people. <laughs> Man, that's one of the best things about wrestling. I got my first taste of it when we were headed to the Black Wrestlers Matter show, part two, um, hosted by Primos. And uh, I was riding with nothing. Uh, it was it was me, my sk- my skinny Mexican ass, and five black dudes. And all I was like, okay, I'm going to be in my best behavior. And it was the funniest hour I've had in my life. Like, they they were they were so into wrestling. It was the we were roasting each other left and right, man. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall on that on that ride back back to fucking Denver, man. Who were you cruising with? Uh I'm gonna say it was another wrestler and uh, one of the referees. Gotcha. All right, uh, kayfabe. My bad. Yeah, I'm not not gonna drop names for reasons. <laughs> My bad, kayfabe. Forget Colorado kayfabe. I met a uh, Rocky Romero and Juice Robinson on the streets of New Orleans, and I was like, man, I love you guys. Like, uh, like. I got to get a picture. And they're like, yeah, we'd love to. And then, and then Juice is like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Japanese kayfabe, bro. It's got to be separate. <laughs> like, oh, dude, I'm just glad you said yes. No problem. <laughs> I'm not going to get you in trouble with fucking Gaito, okay? It'll be fine. <laughs> so uh, let, let's, let's – uh, we'll, we'll get to some awesome comics and, and, and anime in a little bit. I want to talk more about what's going on with you uh, as a wrestler. When did you start? What year? I – I started training in, I want to say like 2011 was like my first night of training. And, uh, I actually kind of, I kind of got saddled with a weird, uh, not being able to go because of where I worked. Oh. And I had went in and I talked to like our, our scheduling person and stuff. And I was like, Hey, I need these nights off to train. And they're like, no, you don't get those nights. Now you're working double those days. Oh shit. What, were you waiting tables? Because that sounds like something that happened waiting tables, like what happened to me. Hmm. <laughs> no, what it really was was uh, I was working uh, security for like apartment complexes and stuff. Yeah. And they would not allow – the second I said it, they were like, oh, we're not going to let you train. You know, we're, we're just going to make sure you're scheduled on all the nights that they train. Shit. Well, and then I ended up leaving that job in about – I don't want to say about 2012 or so and then – like 2013, I was able to finally go back into training and stuff like that. And then I think I had my first match in about 2000, like late 2014, early 2015. So you had a so solid right around there. You had a solid two years of just festering, angry that you couldn't train. Oh, dude, it, it was insane. And uh, I can't like. There's almost moments where I really can't describe it of just how maddening it was. Um, you know, just not being able to do what I wanted to do. Right. And 
Like, yeah, it's, it's so hard to even describe it. And then I was so happy to leave that security company because I was tired of working overnight because it does, it really does do weird things to you to work overnight. Yeah. And then as much as they were like, there was a period of time there where I don't think the company exists anymore, but there was a period in time there where I worked uh, probably a solid 27 hours out of like 36. God damn. Like almost straight. So, you, so you've got the you've got the Ghanas, you've got the drive, you've got the ability to bite down and pay them gimmicks to come in the mail. Uh, you're, you're then you're training. I imagine you got bit by the bug the second you took your first bump. Um, actually, it wasn't so much like a little bit of a break here for you, kind of a, a deep delve here. I'll be honest with people. Your first night training, you're probably not going to take too many bumps. Um, you're going to learn a lot of ropes, and you're going to learn to run ropes. And in ropes, I mean, ropes are brutal. <laughs> ropes are really brutal. I, you know, you can take a bump and not, like, you know, there's a way to, a right and wrong way to take it, but you can take a bump and be fine. The first time you run ropes, you're going to have marks on your body. It doesn't matter whether you're tan, pale, Skinny, muscular, you will have marks on your body the first time you run ropes. Right, until the body gets used to it. Yeah. Who's training you? Um, I remember, um, so the first time I went, it was uh, Dalton Bragg, and then a weird, like, I, I, I got hurt in training. I, I, I hurt my tailbone. That hurts. And I had it. I had to sit out for a while. That's like an so, eight-month hurt. <laughs> that sucks. I've done that before. Oh. Man, it was miserable. You know, driving to and from the new job at the time, it was just, yeah, it was miserable. And then uh, a new trainer had come in. Um, the guy that was the head trainer at the time was Juan uh, Valdez. Okay. Um. If you haven't seen him in the ring, I highly recommend it. He wrestles at Lucha Libre and Laughs. Um, he's just, a, he's an amazing wrestler. He really is. And then uh, helping him at the time, the other trainers were the Canadian Pitbulls. Oh, shit. Uh, Eric Elias Angel, and, Yeah, those guys are the shit, man. I love those guys. Shout out to the Pitbulls, man. I'm so glad Elias is better, man. Ah, I just wish you hadn't joined the UWO. <laughs> I love hating on the UWO, man. Those guys, uh, it took me a little bit to get sold. Randy was like, you're going to love it. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and then now it's just like, I, I love seeing, I love seeing the, the like one thing I'm, I'm loving of what, what you guys have been doing storyline wise, which is really difficult, uh, listeners, because, uh, what what happens here? Would you call us a? Would you call what's going on in Colorado a territory? Like we've got like three territories. I I don't necessarily know because like if you look at the old territory maps of when when they when we had the territory days in wrestling, it wasn't just so much of it being like one area, right? Or like one state. It, it, it was multiple states over multiple promotions all combined under one, like, like massive banner. Right. And, yeah, deep you know, the, the crazy thing about, like, Colorado wrestling is, is, you know, you'll see 
one guy on one show and then you'll go to a different show and there's that guy again. Right. And then you'll go to another show and there's that guy again. That's what I love about it, actually, uh, is how tight-knit it's gotten. Uh, after, after what you guys went through last year, uh, around this time last year, that things are a complete 180. Everyone is working together. You guys are building storylines in multiple different uh, organizations, and everyone's work playing playing nice, man. Like uh, I had a dream the other day that uh, I walked into uh, the CSW locker room and someone was mouthing off, and I remember just getting so mad. Like, how dare you bring like a, a morsel of of antagonism in this absolute? Like I don't want to call it a safe place, a safe place, because y'all are all alphas. But at the same time, though, like that shit, ain't, I wouldn't tolerate that for a second. And it seems y'all have taken uh, <laughs> taken a shine to that and kept that momentum going. And I, I really enjoy it. Not to mention the fact that you only wrestle once a month for each organization, and people still are invested and know exactly what's going on, as opposed to <laughs> weekly, you know, weekly serials. You know? Yeah, I'm sorry for that. The cops, I got a little bit of a dress. No problem, bro. But, um, um, yeah, truly is amazing. And I always look at things as, um, always like, that's why I always like the story of like ECW, right? Like, yeah, there was a bunch of alphas and they all had their issues with each other and whatnot, but they knew, you know, we have to work together to make this thing successful. Have to. And it's working out, man. Like, it's honestly kind of scaring me how. How everything in New Era, Primos, Lucha Libre and Laughs, CSW, um, everything is coming to is like the only thing I think that even could come close to Colorado is Utah Devotion. Yeah, I, I'd even say Devotion has come a, quite a long way in their in their short history. You know, getting that deal with OVW and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's just it's amazing to see what they're doing over in Devotion. It really is. They play nice with everyone, man. I dig it. Now, now tell me, your your current Colorado Springs champion, who did you wrestle? I was there, but just I want you to tell everyone the story, like about that night. Like you you, you come in, you put on your boots, and your music plays. Man, I wrestled Cormac Battle from the UWO, and if if you don't know, about a year ago. There was a show in September at uh, the uh, the Plainfield Sports Bar, and it was called Unlucky Odds. I was there, and it was me versus Animal Sam, who was then champion. Right, and I kind of like I kind of like bragging about this because I'm a big fat guy and I'm probably not the best cardio in the world. But we wrestled for you know, and the ref was the one that really bragged about it at the time. Not named him, but. He really bragged about it because he was like showing me his watch constantly when we were backstage and stuff like that, talking about it. But we wrestled for 20, almost 22 minutes uh, before he, you know, counted or signed for the bell. And uh, I beat Animal Sam, finally becoming CSW heavyweight champion. And I held that title for all of about three minutes before a mass assailant came out, uh, hit then, uh, then owner, whatever, Booker, whatever he was going by at the time, commissioner, I don't know, uh, Dan, 
Dan V. Hill with a chair, and then he hit me with a chair, and proceeded to hit me again with a chair, and he's beating me down, and then out comes Cormac to make the save, right? Right. Well, Cormac makes the save, and then he hits me with this move, and at the time, he was the Colorado cash-in holder. Right. And he cashed in. And underneath the mask was Randy Rude. And they both unbuttoned their shirts or whatnot, unveiling UWO shirts. And he cashes in. One, two, three. Corey McBattle, new heavyweight champion. And that was the night the UWO was formed. So fast forward, you know, 10 months. July and it's our second show back after the pandemic right and well still technically a pandemic but <laughs> but it's our second show back and I beat Curtis Cole to get the number one contendership and finally have a chance to regain that which I felt was stolen you built the, you, you built it up man I loved it I loved every bit of it, and man, that that match with with Curtis Cole—he's one of my favorites here in the state, man. That guy, uh, for—I don't want to ruin his kayfabe, but if you know, you know. But if you don't, he's one of the best heels out there. And man, that was a dirty fight, man. That was that was fucking great watching that that go down. You victorious. It, it was it was one of those moments where it's like, man, I love what I do. God, I love wrestling. God, I love this life. These are the only people I want to Man, I, I will tell you, you know, he is, he is dirty, he is cocky, he is arrogant. That is the best mustache in Colorado right now. Hands down. <laughs> best dreads too, man. He sells, he trains. I mean, like, I don't know what the guy doesn't do, but it, it definitely beefed up what, what you guys do in the ring. And uh, I want to, I want to rewind. All right, you're... You're lacing your boots up. You're going out there. You go over. What's going through your head the second you hear the three in the bell? Oh, elation to know that that journey is finally over. You know, I have my retribution. I am the CSW champion. It's kind of one of those things that's like indescribable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, you know, even today, I still kind of have that, that, that hard hard moment of accepting, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the heavyweight champion. I am the CSW champion. And it's just like the, the realism of it kind of is, it, it's working its way in, but it still hasn't, you know, ground roots or anything like that. You know, it's still kind of surreal to me. It'd feel a lot better in a couple of weeks when you go out there holding, walking out with it. Maybe then it'll solidify. Then you're like, okay, I got this. I know it. It's here. You got I mean, you've got a lot of loyal fucking fans around here, man. Like, it, it's it's not surprising to me, but it's one of the best things about this, about what we do, is that there, there are people out there that can't wait to see you guys, and everyone has their dude. You know, like back in the day, back in high school, and like you know, he's a Jericho guy, he's a Diesel guy. I was a Stone Cold guy. Like, it, it's wonderful to see that develop here, and it, it's it's worth every penny to go see the shows. Well, oh, man, it's just. That's what it's all about. You got to make it. You got to make it worth that penny. You know what I mean? What are, What are your favorite parts about interacting with the crowd? I mean, I see you interact with the kids. You bring candy out and everything. I mean, that's so cool to them. 
<laughs> I'm trying to even admit, like, uh, that was one of the things that, um, as you were mentioning earlier, was we were talking about the, the memorial show. You know, that was one of the things that uh, Chris Chavez gave me. You know, he came up with the idea, the character, and he said, wait, he looked at me and he said, you know what you should do? You should get a little treasure chest and fill it with candy, like those little gold coins or whatever. Toss them out to kids and stuff. And it's like, you're not tossing money, you're just tossing chocolate coins or whatever. But that would be really cool. And uh, so to me, uh, I've had so many great moments with that chest. I, I once had a woman try to steal it. Out of, <laughs> she, uh, was she hungry? <laughs> you know, it was near empty too when she took it. And what it was is I had set it, uh, I'd set it in the corner, and I got up in the ring. Match started, you know, went on. I think I won. I got down and I went to go grab my coat, my hat, and my chest, and the chest was gone. And I think we were we were we were the party pirate punks back then too. And I remember looking at uh, Hollywood Tony P. And I said, "Where the hell's my chest?" Yeah. And he goes, "I don't know, I don't know." And I'm like. I'm like, where is it? And then I look, and there's all these little kids sitting ringside, and they're pointing down at this lady. (laughs) (laughs) Over, just trying to hide it under her chair with her butt. (laughs) That is so cool. The kids stood up for you, man. Like, it's like, it's one of those things kids just know. Like, it's it's Spider-Man 2 when he, like, rescues the subway train, and his face is exposed. And we found something. They give him his mask, and the first thing they say is, don't worry we won't tell anybody. They know. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so great. All right. So uh, tell me about Chris, man. Um, like when I said earlier, and, and listeners, I wasn't disrespecting Ch- uh, Chris. It was more of a telling you what my perspective was at the time. And I didn't want to crash a funeral, in, in my opinion, where I didn't feel I might have been well. I'm sure I would have been welcome at the same time, though. Like, you know, it's not my grief. And... Um, Everything I've learned about him now, that he's one of the best guys that's ever walked the planet. What did you learn um, from him? What, how did you meet him? So, I met Chris at a, I believe it was a primo show. And he had just moved to Colorado from Texas. And he had talked to the promoter and stuff. And I guess he was, like, he, he was going to shows and stuff like that down south in Texas and stuff. And, and, uh, the uh, the promoter Primos gave gave him this opportunity to be like a referee, and he refereed at a few lucha shows too. And that's 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 how I met him. You know, I met him through like as when he was a referee, and uh, I didn't know at the time that he was you know really really talking to big guns about this, but like he he was really dead set on starting a promotion in Colorado Springs because they didn't have wrestling down in Colorado Springs, right. and he knew he could make it. Uh, but gangbusters. What year was this? This was 2017, I believe. Okay. It might have been 2016. It might have been 2016. And uh, I remember the first show was on a Sunday, which was crazy for being in the Springs. But it was on a Sunday, and it was literally on... It was either the day before or it was the day of Halloween. So it was Halloween Slam Bash. was the very first show. Right. And... Uh, you know, what kind of makes me and Cormac battling for the title in both, you know, Slam Bash 4 and, you know, last July, what really makes it kind of kind of a little bit special 
is that uh, we were the first match ever in CSW. Nice. You get no one can take that away from you ever. Yeah, we, we went on first, and it was me at the time, not as Captain Stevens, but it was me as Cooper Stevens versus Cormac Battle. How'd that end up? Who went over? <laughs> it's a bit of it. Who went over? It- <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as many people may not know, I used to be the bad guy. <laughs> so you're, you're wrestling Mac Attack. By the way, shout out, Mac. Uh, one of the biggest hearts I ever met in my life. One of the best heels, but then also one of the best faces. Uh, God damn, I love that guy. He's just one of those guys, like, I'm just, he's, one of the, he's one of the ones that, like, he just lights it up every time I see him, man. Like, always hug, handshake, happy to see you. Um, it's, it's, one of, it's one of the many good parts of what, what happens here in college. He wrestles for, God, he wrestles for uh, CSW, he wrestles for New Era. Um, and, no, no I, I'm not sure if I saw him New Era. I'm talking about Rocky Mountain Pro, but everyone loves him. And you, you got to throw down with him, and you have that history now. Well, let, let's go back to Chris. So, what are some of the things that Chris taught you that, that really stick with you? Um, you know, it wasn't so much like, like teachings and stuff like that. It's just, you know, for me and Chris, it was just like Chris, Chris always believed in me. You know, and I knew that he wouldn't have asked me to do his shows if he didn't. But he always believed in me. And, you know, he was always so willing to work with people when it came to ideas and stuff like that. And it was just, you know, most of the time it was an honor being around him just because he was so friendly and inviting and and caring. And he just listened to not only, like, he listened to the fans, he listened to to the wrestlers, he listened to everyone when he would formulate his shows and come up with his ideas. And to me, it's just like, you know, someone that attuned with everything, it was just, it was really rare. How? And it was really great to be around. I'm, I'm sad I never got to meet him. I'm, I'm, I met his wife, and she was just the, the biggest sweetheart to me. Like, hey, what's up? I'm, I'm the DJ. Like, it's, kind of, it's always kind of a, it's kind of like, at first it was like I was the podcaster, but then I became the DJ. But when you introduce yourself as a DJ, like, okay, you're the podcaster, you might be a legit reporter. I'm the DJ. Okay, you're the sleazeball of the fucking record players. All right, we get it. Just stay in your corner. Now nah, she was cool with me. She was, <laughs> she was, she was, she was so cool with me, man. And uh, the, everything that's been going on is just I, I, I think and I, I dream about it. Um, who, who are some of your favorite matches that? Who, um, forgive me. Who are the wrestlers you've had the, your favorite matches with that really stick out in your head? I'm sure you loved them all, but any ones that stick out? No, that's that's not true. I haven't loved all of them. There's been a few, but I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go there. I, I tell the story enough that I'm not gonna go there. Right. But uh, for people I really enjoy wrestling, um, I'll be honest. Top of the list, um, on top of that list is probably Eric Angel. So technical. Uh, He's so technical. It, it's beautiful. Um. And, you know, I've wrestled Cody Devine, and I really like that match. Uh, I probably love every match I've had with Johnny Crash. Um, 
Animal Sam was a really fun match. Um, I don't know if you remember him, but uh, Jason Knoll. I don't think I met that guy. Oh, man. Jason Knoll was really, really like, that's probably my my favorite opponent of all time is Jason Knoll. And, you know, he hasn't been at CSW in a while, and I haven't seen him too often at Primo's. I kind of miss that guy. So, but yeah. How do you I think Jason Knoll is probably my, my favorite opponent. How do you feel, what do you prefer, heel or face? That's a tough one. I mean, it's, easy, had, it's easier to be heel, right? Eh? Yeah. It's hard to say. I've been both, and I've gotten the, the ideal, ideal reaction from both. You know, as I've... I've wrestled, I, I wrestled a lucha show as a heel, and I literally had a kid tell me he hated my guts. And, uh. Achievement. <laughs> you know, and uh, you were there in, in July, you heard the reaction I got after pinning Gormack. Right. You know, so it's, it's really hard to say, uh, which is better. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are days I just, you know, you can't. Man, being babyface just does kind of have that elation, you know, with the crowd cheer and stuff. It, it really does. Especially as a good guy. Like, it, 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 it's difficult for me to to make the assumption or d decipher who's good or bad because I've always just been a, a bad guy, man. Like, like I, I was always – I mean, I love G.I. Joe, but I was always rooting for Cobra, man. Cobra Commander was the coolest one. Um, I've, always, <laughs> I've, always, I've always been a, a – a bad guy, man. Like Stone Cold, fucking like it was. In, and then seeing the transition when you're such a good bad guy, and all of a sudden you you go out and you're accidentally a babyface, and it's confusing. You're like, I thought these you guys hated me. <laughs> like, but we'd love to hate you the way I love to hate Chris Jericho. Uh, I used to say Y2J, Chris Jericho, my hero every time, but he had this big hubbub of oh, he hates her in Y2J, so it kind of ruined my gimmick. But um, you've done both. We're where are you looking to take your career indie-wise? Like, you, you plan to stay baby for a while? You planning to just keep riding this championship ride? <laughs> Definitely going to keep, you know, riding the championship ride as long as it'll take me. But, I mean, you kind of can't predict the future, you know? Right. The world is an ever-changing landscape. Nothing, nothing stays the same for very long. Especially... You know, not to, not to mention like a TV guy, but I mean, if you remember this time a year ago, you know, Seth Rollins was a babyface. Yeah, that was confusing. And all it took was like two months, and all of a sudden, everybody hates him. And he didn't change anything he did. Well, they were definitely, I feel like they were burying him last year around this time, because he, he was still coming back from getting punished from hurting his knee when he was the, I think he was the best chicken shit champion of all time. Like, he, he blew me away. I, I, I couldn't believe how much I... Like, I got so upset when he blew his knee out. And I was like... Like, that, that's how I realized I was a real wrestling fan. When I saw that he got hurt. And instead of, like, the shithead in me being like, Yeah, he's gone. No, I was like, oh, no. The storylines, they're going to punish him. Uh, like, it's been two and a half, almost three years. <laughs> this sucks. Like, I'm, I'm so worried. Um, we're, we're, but we're talking, we're talking storylines here. Uh, 
how do you like to come up with your with your stories? Like, do you are you in the mirror uh, practicing promos? Are you screaming along to Aylstrom in the car? What are you doing? <laughs> oh man, I, there definitely is a process. I'm not going to say I don't do any of those things. I do. <laughs> Good. Uh, so you in the car ride trying to come up with stuff, but. You know, I'm also trying to not do the the living room or bathroom promo. <laughs> Why not? You know, where, like where it's filmed at, where you have that weird echo and stuff like that. I kind of like, I've been enjoying where I've been doing mine, so. But I'm also trying to find like that new, where can I make it interesting or unique kind of thing, you know? Where do you get your inspiration from? Uh, are you just listening to music? Are, you, are there particular authors that get you to the spot that helps you be cappy? You know, like I was saying earlier, you know, it really comes from, like, a lot of it came from, like, that that Oliver Platt orthos kind of wanting to be, you know, where you're, where you're serious, but it's funny. Right. And then, you know, I also kind of like uh, Captain Barbosa because he, like, you know, watch, going back and watching, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, he's the only, like, real pirate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely about that, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where I, like, look to things is, like, you know, I want to, you know, I want to be the best pirate I can be, you know, the best pirate that just so happens to be a wrestler. <laughs> you get a lot of kids dressed up as pirates for you? Uh, I think, I think I've had maybe one or two at, like, Halloween shows. Right. But like I don't like I remember I remember I had a fan, a little girl in CSW came out with a pirate flag one one month. And they had me sign it and take some photos with her and stuff and it oh, was really cool. That's what it's about, man. That's what it's about right there. It, the the kids, the people and even the, the big kids that believe in you. It's it's it, <laughs> I mean it's about it's about the lifestyle, it's about being one of the brothers, but when it boils down to it, it's about God damn, you made that kid's, like, life for the moment. You know, he'll never forget it or she'll never forget it. Like, that time she met a real wrestler that was a real fucking pirate kicking some ass that night, you know? Like, there's there's no difference. It's like, it's 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 better than, and, and forgive me for interrupting you, I apologize, but I, I've heard my friends say, like, oh, you gotta, you know, we gotta take our kid to Disneyland uh, so they can meet, you know, Mickey Mouse and Belle while they still think it's real, okay, that's fine. But you can still be 18 years old in a wrestling show and be just as invested. Just as invested, but it, there's something special about wrestling. Well, they're truly missing. And, I mean, it's all, like, I can't say it's always been a sport or, or entertainment geared towards the kids. Right, of course, of but course. It's definitely a bit more of a, you know, I can say now it's definitely geared towards more of like a family experience, you know, where you can get, we have something for everyone, you know, there's comedy, there's drama, there's action, you know, there's a little bit of ultraviolence if you happen to go to... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, uh, if you're in the ring with Johnny, yeah, there's going to be some ultraviolence. A little bit. How did you find it? Like, uh, like I like hearing everyone's tales, like my, my uh, I found it on Saturday morning right after cartoons and, and I'll never forget it 
how did you find it? Did your uncle take you? Your grandpa make you watch it with him? Like old school territory stuff? Like <laughs> so as crazy as it is, uh, my dad was the one that actually first introduced me to wrestling uh, when I was a little, little, really a little kid. Like my mom, my mom always gets upset because she's like, "Your dad had you watching wrestling when you were like four months old." That's awesome. So it was, you know, <laughs> wrestling football. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Who are your dudes? Uh, dudes? Yeah, like your 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 favorite wrestlers. Oh, um, we kind of had like a tra- like a, like a transition, you know. Uh, when I was a little little kid, it was all about the Ultimate Warrior. Of course. Uh, something about him and the face paint promos that made no sense and stuff like that, and just the amount of energy that he would bring. You know, I I can admit I never really was like a Hogan guy. But I was a warrior guy, or like a warrior kid. And then uh, I remember he left. And uh, I started transitioning to being a Bret Hart guy. Very nice. Uh, and uh, what's weird for me is I always tell people, like, I, as a kid, as a teen, like a preteen and stuff, when the Attitude Era was, was big, I missed the Austin Era. Oh. Because I switched to WCW when Brett went to WCW. Dude, there's nothing wrong with that. I think uh, I think whether you went to WCW or stayed during the Austin era when they they, they pushed him after Triple H fucked up uh, in the, uh, the 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 the, um, the curtain call. I think everyone made the right decision regardless. Uh, I love watching old school WCW. Shit, I miss because I was watching WWE. It continue, please, like. You're following. You're, you're following Brett. Uh, so I followed Brett in WCW, and then like I don't know what it was, but around ninety nine, two thousand to about two thousand two, um, my dad was real adamant. Like my family, not even just my dad, like my whole family was really adamant that I stopped watching. Why? Um, it's really kind of tough to say, but it's uh, a whole. I needed to grow up thing and stuff like that, so I, right. I was kind of forced to stop watching wrestling. I'm sorry that happened to you, man. Yeah. You know, everybody goes through a difficult thing in their childhood. I'm not going to say mine was overtly difficult. Right. It was just, you know, the whole thought process of I needed to grow up. So, you know, I wasn't allowed to to collect, like, Pokemon, or I wasn't allowed to watch wrestling. You know, I was very limited in what I could do for video games. I had to get a job and stuff like that, so... How old were you? It's probably about 13 or 14, just going into high school. How did it, did, do, you re, do you regret it? Did it shape you well? I mean, now that you're, you're back in the fold, I mean, like, uh, I, I imagine that you learned a lot of good stuff that has given you good tools. I, I'd hope so. Well, I mean, you know, through the whole period of that whole thing, you know, I, I still played magic. Um, I, uh, I got in more in like board games and stuff like that. Became you know a different kind of nerd altogether, and then I really got interested in playing like uh, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. But uh, I'd say right about 2007. Okay. And it's funny because I saw a Facebook post about this earlier today too. Uh, I went to a my first ever independent wrestling show. Okay. And I didn't even know independent wrestling was a thing until 2007. Mm-hmm. I didn't so I was really, about four years old. 
I was, it was, I think it was like 20, 2013 when I, when I found it, but even then, like it, it was, it was something else. And I, I'm, I'm glad that you did. Like, what did, what did you feel when you found it? I mean, did, was it more real to you than what was on TV or, or because you could see it and you could touch it? Was it more special? Well, so it was, it was crazy for me because I got back into it, like watching wrestling, like 2006, 2007. I got back into it because they were inducting Bret Hart into the Hall of Fame. And this is, you know, right around this time is when I found out he had the bike accident and the concussion and the, the stroke and the hospital stay and stuff like that. And uh, I, I didn't know any of that had happened because I was, you know, told I had to stop watching. So I start, you know, I started watching again, and then I met a friend who introduced me to one of his friends who happened to work security at the RMCW show. Okay. And it was right around my birthday, so he gave me a complimentary ticket saying, here, you know, come out and see some independent wrestling. Uh, this is my birthday gift to you. And I was like, cool. And then we got there, and I ended up having to work security for the show because they were under... They were short-handed. Why not? And um, it's crazy to me because this is this was the first time I met um, I met and watched uh, Rob Rising. Ooh, love him. <coughs> and uh, I'm trying to remember who all I met that night. If you met That's Rising, levels, I can't. If you met Rising that night, you probably met Jason that night too. Huh? If you met Ryzen that night, then you probably met Jason that night, too. No, I did not meet Jason that night. Oh, damn. Jason was not there. Um, at least to my recollection, Jason was not there. But um, Adrian Grimm was there. Nice. And uh, I'm trying to remember who else was there, but I can't. I, I, I am drawing a blank. No, that's fine. It was just a flash of awesomeness. It sounds like you were just overwhelmed. Now... All right, so so you're at your you're at your first indie wrestling show. You're working security. What's going through your head when you finally realize that this is happening? This is live. I'm here. You're bitten by the bug again. Yeah. So it was so weird to be brought back in, into the fold of being a fan again and watching wrestling and seeing wrestling for the first time. Especially, it's really weird if you're having to work a show in any capacity and it's like your first time back into it and you know after several years of being out of it because like you're trying to watch a match but then you gotta watch a door and then you're trying to watch a match and then you're trying to watch a door <laughs> like, oh no you can't come back here this is backstage area <laughs> how did it end how did the night end I mean, are you everyone chewing out did you go talk to everyone in the locker room did you just go ask questions what were you doing man it was so crazy because like even as security, they really didn't want us in the locker room area. Really? So, like, we we did security, and then, you know, we kind of hung out afterwards and talked with a couple guys. And then, um, like, I think I talked to Grim for a little bit, and then uh, we ended up leaving and going out to, like, dinner or something like that. And then we went all, like, we all went home. And then uh, I was asked to do it again the next month, uh, the next couple months. And then... Uh, they kind of had a hiatus after the second one I did. And um, I remember, this is kind of a bad thing, but I got to remember uh, the third show we worked, we thought he said we were at the Broomfield Event Center. 
And I don't know if you remember, but that's what the first bank center used to be called. I did not know that. <laughs> huh? I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what the that's what the first bank center used to be called. And uh, I remember we were all we were all sitting around thinking like, how are we going to fill that place? And then we found out it was the Broomfield Rec Center. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> so you almost pulled a Hogan, huh? <laughs> we're at the Superdome, yeah. uh, Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Not the silver dome. <laughs> God, that one was hilarious. Watching watching Stone Cold and Rock break character, like, oh shit, this is going to be remembered forever. <laughs> no, uh, <coughs> I want to talk. Uh, you, you you got you picked my curiosity. Uh, what did you start? What edition of D and D did you start with? Um, so my dad was our first DM uh, when I was a kid, and we played. It was like me and my sister, and we played with a group of his friends. And, my mom and stuff, and uh, we started with second edition, or ADD. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, is terrible. It's terrible so, so many, to start with. So it's, many it goddamn rules. It is so confusing. So many goddamn rules. Like, it, 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 I started with it, the original one, because that's the first book I had. I got it from the library. And then when Advanced D&D came out and my friends were trying, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm not... I'm not digging this right now. Like this isn't. This is. How did you feel when five came out? Um, you know, I'll be honest. I actually haven't played five yet. Um, because I started with second edition, and you know, the reason I bring up second edition is I know the nerds listening to this will probably know, but if you don't know, everything like I compare second edition and third edition is like risk and axes now, right? Good. So good analogy. Good analogy. Metaphor. So like. In third edition, I compare it to Risk because it's just basically, you know, the higher you roll, the better. Right. But play second edition, it is not, it's, it's completely flip-flop. You know, the lower you roll, the better. <laughs> and... I didn't like it. It's just so crazy. Uh, and then, uh, so we played second edition. That was my first time. It was okay. It was kind of fun. I was really confused, uh, especially about, like, the role-playing aspect and stuff like that. And then... We kind of transfer over to third edition when I was in high school, and uh, we started with third edition and then 3.5, and then I didn't play for a long period of time because I didn't, uh, like, that's about the time I started getting back into wrestling and stuff like that, so it started preoccupying more of my time uh, between that and Final Fantasy, but, so, like... Now you're just fucking with me. Now I'm going to ask about that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, like, we, I, I meet up with a group of friends a few years ago, and they introduced me to Pathfinder. And if you don't know what Pathfinder is, Pathfinder is the team that made 3.5. I remember. Uh, split when the company was uh, purchased by Wizards of the Coast. And half of the team that left uh, went to a company called Paizo. And they made Pathfinder, which is like 3.5, but on steroids. Right. It is so, like, just the way the game is set up, the way it's built, the way you play it, is just so beautiful. You don't find it's it too, the, you don't find it's too overly complicated, or you, you get to, the complexity of the rules really gets you going in terms of, like, immersion? Um, a little bit of the complexity of the rules, a little bit of just how how the world is set up, like, how worlds are set up, like, if you play 
prefab campaigns or anything like that. It just they do a really wonderful job most of the time of, of really bringing everything together to where it makes sense and it's not just, you know, where, like, because there's no, there's really no, like, Dungeon Master's Guide. There's no separate book just for Dungeon Masters. It's just, it starts out, here's a player's handbook, and this is the one book you need for everyone to be able to play. Right. Now, when it comes to, when it comes to storytelling in, in Pathfinder, I had a girlfriend that was really into it, and, like, right when she got really into it and we broke up, and I remember the book was, like, double the size of fucking my, my D&D uh, 5, but even then, like, when she talked about it, I, I, she wasn't really good at expressing, like, why it was good. And one of the things that bothers me about D&D is, like, there, when you get a group of people together, you're trying really hard, especially lately in the past, like, five years. I find, like, there's, like, if you've got eight people, four of them are super invested. Two of them, two of them are doing their best. And there's always one dickhead who's fucking around. Does Pathfinder have the same sort of uh, uh, pitfalls? Well, it's it's not even like it's not even relative to just like B and D anymore. You know, it's any it could be any tabletop RPG. It could be any. Um, I don't know if you've ever played any of them, but like the legacy board games and stuff like that. It really does come down to like, you know, is this person invested? Um, how invested are they? Are they just goofing about? Right. Like. One of the things, like, when we, when we play a campaign, um, I think there's, like, we, when we normally do it, there's, like, four or five of us. And uh, when we sit down to play a campaign, the one thing we try to avoid is being a band of, quote-unquote, murder hobos. I fucking um, love it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and it's just, you know, I hate a game that's just strictly dungeon crawl. Like, oh, you know, you go through the two or three basement levels of this mansion, figuring out why the, you know, trying to figure out why this guy is sewing all these monsters together, and you really don't find anything out. You just kind of slaughter everything, get your treasure at the end, and leave. You know, and then it's on to the next, you know, three or four cave levels where it's just, you know, we're going to go murder a bunch of bears and, and frost giants for no freaking reason. So Pathfinder has more, <coughs> we said it earlier, more, more immersion, but there's there's more beauty to the story. Essentially, like, the last game that we were playing um, is called Reign of Winter. And it's all based around, uh, like, the the great wizard or witch, whatever you want to call her, uh, Baba Yaga. And trying to return her to power to stop the world from being uh, completely frozen in a winter wonder, like a winter tundra. Now... Baba Yaga, I, I, that's that's uh, that's Russian. That's I thought that was a, a, a traditionally evil character. So you're, is it? Paul? See, we're not that far in. We're like the second, like the start of the second book of the campaign. So we have no idea where it's really going. How long have you? Uh, okay, how long have you been playing Pathfinder, and have you been playing the same character? Um, no, I've been playing Pathfinder. It's about like 2013 or so. Um, right around the time I, I stopped being a security guard, I had went to uh, a job, which I will leave unmentioned right now because it's, you know, I don't like kind of talking about it all the time. Of course. Um, unless people know, just because it's kind of a, it's been kind of a sensitive topic since about 2013, 2014 to talk about what I did for a living then. 
and uh, uh, I'll just say it was a, basically like an assembly production line. And I had met a guy uh, there who introduced me and another one of my friends to uh, the Pathfinder games. And what was really crazy at the time is uh, what we would do with him when we first started was um, kind of show up and uh, do like one-off days where it's like, okay, this is your character for today. You know, you had like a week to build it or whatever. And then right. uh, we get thrown into a dungeon and yada, yada, yada. And it never went past like that one day thing. And then like the next week we would have new characters doing something else. And in fairness, like most of the time we, we'd end up having like TPKs and it was all like higher level stuff. Like, it never started like between like one and five. It was always like, I think I had like a, 10th level goblin wizard once where I had to use a feat uh, for literacy because if you don't know goblins can't read or write <laughs> and if they can they're usually heralded as a, as a uh, what do you call it an anomaly and they're usually killed by goblin tribes no that's that's really smart uh, that makes me that makes me happy because every, when I first built my my uh, five D&D character um, the first ability I chose for her was the ability to read any language whatsoever. And I remember my friends like, what the fuck would you want that? And I'm like, you'll find out. And it's essential. It, it, like, it is so essential. It, it, it is so helpful. It ain't like, oh, this book is, you know, the, the, the DM comes up with some book that we can't read. Uh, uh-uh, I can. <laughs> I, 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 you know, you know, Linguistics is definitely a skill that ever that you know people really should take into account when they're playing D and D. Were you a uh, were you a big X Men fan or are you a big X Men fan? Oh, man, I remember. Um, I used to read a bit of the comics as a kid. I don't remember the comics. I will admit that. No problem. Um, but I remember watching the '90s uh, cartoon show. It came out on Fox Kids, and I watched that every single weekend. Absolutely. No missing it. Yeah. Man, I love that show. I'm so happy it's on Disney+. Plus. I really am. Uh, I'm halfway through it this week. The I lost my last weekend because I was watching uh, the Thundercats came up on uh, Hulu, <laughs> and I've never gotten to binge watch it before. Like, it, 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 when I was living in the 80s when it came out, and getting American cartoons was next to impossible. So it was, I was, it was those days when, like, if you missed a TV show, you just missed it forever. And I, I finally got, like, all my like, – I had so much closure this weekend. But uh, I'm getting uh, divergent. Uh, the reason I bring up X-Men is because there's a character from the New Mutants named uh, Doug uh, – I don't want to say Doug Bradley. That's, that's Pinhead. Uh, Doug Ramsey. And his name is Cypher. And his mutant ability is the ability to understand any language. And I remember seeing, like, a new mutant comes like, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> that's the stupidest fucking thing ever. <laughs> and then, like, you, you, you realize, you grow up and you realize the, bril- the brilliance of Claremont. And when Cypher can, like, because right now the X-Men are living on uh, the, mutant, the mutant land. At first it was just like this, like, Krakoa was personified as a, a mutant... It, strip of land that was conscious and now Krakoa has grown to such epic proportions that they have their own continent in like the southern um, uh, like in the southern Pacific Sea and Cypher is the key to everything because no one can talk to Krakoa not even Xavier 
But Cypher is able to, to translate everything that Krakoa is telling them in order to build the land. And when I see those sorts of epic storytelling that most people, if they saw on paper, would be like, that's not, that's not interesting. That's not Wolverine slaughtering somebody. Um, it, it gives me so much more of an appreciation. And what, the reason I brought that up is that's why I said I'm so happy you said that you've got someone that can read languages like that, that, that shows a higher level of intelligence that is not ordinary, especially when it comes to playing uh, even tabletop games or, 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 or role-playing games like that. That's, that's staying up at night worrying. <laughs> if, 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 forgive me for making the assumption. No, it's, it's, uh, it's so weird to me that people don't, like, like to me that sounds like an amazing ability. Be able to speak any language, to understand or decipher any language. That sounds like an amazing ability. Agreed. See, where I think dumb ability is, is Domino. I think Domino is a terrible ability, and it <laughs> literally makes no sense. It's just, you know, luck. That is a terrible ability. Because it's, it's something that is just absolutely fabricated. It's sloppy writing, <laughs> isn't it? It's sloppy writing. Oh, she's lucky, so we can just... Oh, she got lucky. <laughs> yep, she got lucky. It was funny in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Man, uh, like when they brought, when I found out that they were bringing Domino in, like I thought it was genius because I have such a I have such a love hate relationship with the movies now because I've read so much. But when they cast who they picked, I was like, "That's genius!" The, like the, the like the the whole idea of makeup, it, it didn't feel like it was. Like, oh, here's a here's a black superheroine because we want to make sure that the the black community is happy. Like, like, don't talk down to people like that. You know, like, build something beautiful. Don't just don't just make something arbitrary because some dude in a boardroom says, oh, we have to make the, this group of people happy, so just be black and gay. Like, wait, what? Like, Domino wasn't like that at all. But like, it was so organically done that it didn't feel like they were talking down to us, and it was funny. How did you feel about Deadpool? Wait, or am I just talking out of my ass and I just piss everyone off? No. So, I I love the Deadpool movies. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I don't. They're probably my favorite superhero movies. Um, especially because I was so frustrated with uh, Civil War and stuff like that. Because like, this is going to sound weird and you're going to laugh at me. Tell me. But I enjoyed Dawn of Justice. Really? I really I liked Batman vs. Superman. And I liked Batman versus Superman because of the way that they wrote Batman in that film. It, I loved that movie. Uh, I was at first I hated it. It took me, I had to be sober to watch it. Like the third time I saw it, and I was like, wait a minute, this is fucking excellent. That like the the, the character development. I agree, the whole Martha thing was a little uh, strained, but everything else was 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 like the, the the when he's in the corner, you know, when when the, the camera spans and he's in the corner up. Up, uh, like that was scary. That was great. Hmm. I mean, and I've always had this thing of like, like I love the Michael Keaton films, the Val Kilmer and Clooney films, are, and you know, I enjoy two out of the three of the Bale films. But I started noticing this problem in the Christian Bale films, in that he's not Batman in those films. He's nowhere near Batman. He's decent Bruce Wayne, but he's not Batman. Because Batman has always been lauded as the world's greatest detective. And the one thing he never does as Batman is detect. 
Somebody's always doing it for him. And that drove me insane. That is a wonderful point. I never thought of it that way. I mean, like, for listeners, like, it's called Detective Comics for a reason. And Batman was actually, the, the actual comic line Batman was actually secondary to Detective Comics. Because that's what people really enjoyed about that, was the detective part about it. Well, I mean, you know, you go back to the original comics and he's, you know, he's using all of these modern detective techniques, like fingerprinting, doing all that. And then you could fast forward all the way up to the 90, 92 uh, animated series. Everything he's doing, he's pulling fingerprints, he's, he's running background checks, he's looking up license plates, he's doing all of these things on his own, just through the Batcave, and literally trying to detect, okay... Where's the Riddler going to be? How do I solve this crime? You know, and all these different things. And then you get into the Christian Bale films, and there's Fox. Lucius Fox. Yeah, just Fox. And he's making all of the equipment. He's making, he's doing all of the detecting. And it's almost like, um, did you play Arkham Asylum? Yeah, I've got both of them. Uh, you know, great game, but it's almost like that feeling like it doesn't feel like Batman because he's not doing anything. Everything's going through Oracle. And Oracle's doing all the work except for the fighting. Poor man, that's one character that needs to get developed is Barbara Gordon and that sort of thing. Oracle's one of my favorite. When Gil Simone was writing Birds of Prey, I was just popping left and right for every single issue. I, I'm so glad we had this conversation because I never thought of it that way, that he wasn't detecting. I just hated the damn movies. I... I thought all the Christopher Nolan movies were garbage. I think he... I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I think Heath Ledger's version of the Joker was hands down the worst. He wasn't crazy. There was no Joker gas. He was just some asshole anarchist. Like, it, and it wasn't even fun. And it wasn't... I didn't find his jokes funny. Um, well, I mean, so much as, like, we want to, you know, shit on the people who wrote it and Christopher Nolan and stuff like that. I don't want to shit on They made, they made art. They made art. I just didn't like it. No, no, and it's just like, well, it's different circles. Like you always have the, the the modern fandom that loves the Heath Ledger Joker, and you have the, you know the old fandom that doesn't like the Jared Leto or Heath Ledger, or you know they're so stuck in the in the Mark Hamill, um, Cesar Romero, Jack Nicholson uh, Joker, uh, you know where it was more comical, whereas time evolved even in the comics. Uh, the Joker got more and more and more psychotic. That's what I want. I want a psychotic Joker. I'm not stuck in anything. I just want a good story. That's all I want. And the thing with the Nolan films is the, the comic set that he based it off of was all of the Frank Miller Dark Knight comics. When I saw that, having owning of those comic books, I was like, bullshit. That was nothing like that. Well, that's why I said it was it was based. And I'm pretty sure it's because if you remember at the time, two of the more popular movies that came out were based on Frank Miller comics in 300 and Sin City. So they wanted to bring that gritty style of Batman. But, you know, even at the time, they probably didn't do justice to the Frank Miller comics, nor did they do justice to Batman and, and the Joker and those characters. Well, one thing that I did like about it was it got people reading comic books. And that's one thing I've told everyone since comic book movies have become a big thing, 
is that, like, what did you think about the new Spider-Man movie? Did you like that movie? I'm like, well, I liked that movie. I actually liked the Green Lantern movie. I really enjoyed the Green Lantern movie. I saw it in 3D. I was having a great time. I was flying through space with Hal Jordan, man. It was, it was fucking, it was so much fun. But what I'm trying to say is, all that matters to me is that it gets people to read more comic books. That, that's, that's it. I don't care what I mean, you read, just read it. What's crazy to me is, and you're going to laugh at me for this one too. No, not at all, man. I haven't hated any Spider-Man film. Me either. I, I've hated like portions of it. Like I didn't like Topher Grace's Venom. Oh, God. And I didn't like, um, I didn't like, uh, Michael Keaton as the Vulture. Really? It was kind of a personal thing. I just, it didn't feel right. No, no, go, go down this rabbit hole because me and my, uh, my, my partner that we do the comic books episode, we were just talking about it two nights ago. Because we were we were we were theorizing about Keaton. Because we get on the jazz like in the A team, we just like we get on the jazz, we just go on this one fucking like we're focused on something for like an hour, and we were talking about Keaton, and we were talking about his comedic career as being a stand-up comic, going to Beetlejuice, more serious stuff with Batman, and then of course his little random stuff like you know Multiplicity and and uh, Mr. Mom. Um, we thought we thought the construction of the Vulture was the best version that they could have done, especially with someone that can can pull off that psycho. Specifically the scene when he's dropping off Peter and um uh it wasn't Mary Jane, it was uh well his whatever whatever his daughter's name was. And he's like, hey go inside, I'm gonna talk to Peter for a second. And then he turned I found that scene terrifying. That's when I was sold. But but that was it. Like Help me understand why you didn't like him as, as the vulture. Because I'm, I'm not. I don't want to laugh at you. I want to understand your perspective. I mean, to start, it just it doesn't fit Michael Keaton. Like the way his his his, his career path has gone, and all the movies that he did and stuff like that. It just is, it didn't feel right. Because if I, you know, remembering the vulture when I was a kid, you know, the vulture was a guy that had to steal the essence of the younger generation. To be able to be a villain. So you're going way deep, Spidey. Okay, keep going. <laughs> and, you know, he did none of those things. And it almost felt like him being the vulture and maintaining the identity of Peter Parker, which is what makes the car scene actually a bad scene. Okay. There's nobody there. And he already knows you're Spider-Man. Why would you not take him out in that instance? Why would you not stop the criminal then when there's nobody there to, to see that you're Spider-Man? I'm digging this. Or vice, or vice versa. Why didn't, the, why didn't he, hey, let me talk to Peter real quick, and then pop, pop, pop. <laughs> That's a great point. It takes someone who's part of the, you know, part of the original Sinister Six... And kind of turns him into a pansy. Huh. And that he's really doing all this stuff for the greater good. He's not he's not really a villain, but he's not really a good guy either. It's just it makes it that gray area for no reason. For a guy that for a character that was always the villain. Right. 
So you're 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 it's it's just like the the argument when you're in a wrestler and you're a tweener. It's 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 hard to put your your thumb on something, right? Exactly. Well, I mean, if you think about like a true tweener, you know, you think about the turn of, of, of Steve Austin and the rise of Steve Austin, right? Or the Undertaker. Right. The Undertaker was a tweener for a very long period of time. Kane. And it's a successful, you know, transition, like long form transition from from a heel to face or vice versa. But then you have the vulture, and it feels more like a hoss pop, where he's not really good, he's not really bad, he's not getting a reaction. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm liking where you're going with this. Keep going. Keep going. I'm loving this. I haven't had this perspective. Keep going. So if you remember, they separated the America's Greatest Tag Team, right? They separated Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Hawks. That sucks. And they put, they put, they're both on Raw, and Shelton got put into the Intercontinental title picture, and he did the really fun stuff with, like, Trish Stratus, and they put Charlie Haas out there by himself. And he got, it started with a little bit of booze and a little bit of heel work, but then it just went silent. He didn't get cheered, he didn't get booed. The That's crowd was just silent. The worst thing and that can happen. Exactly. And this happened for a long time. It's, it happened long enough that they actually dub it a Haas pop, which is silence. And then that's, that's... he didn't start getting a positive reaction from the crowd again until he started doing the whole gimmick infringement thing where he would be, uh, you know, Brett the Hitman Haas or Stone Cold Steve Haas. And, you know, and that's when he started getting like positive reactions from the crowd again up until they released it. You could only go with that for so long because you, you're you're coasting on fumes on that point. Now, um, you you got me thinking uh, about the last Spider-Man movie. Uh, well, uh, well, actually, uh, Homecoming was. I, I wonder if my eyes had a had a glaze over them in terms of. No, the, I'm, I'm gonna admit. That even though you asked this question, I haven't seen the second Tom Holland Spider-Man film yet. It's been kind of a, a time restraint issue. It's not that I don't want to, I just haven't had a chance. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to talk about the first one, and that's not a problem, man. We all get our time restraints. There, there's some shit, there's a few DC comic movies that, uh, the, the cartoons, I'm ashamed to admit, I haven't seen yet. Because uh, those are the best, actually, the, the DC com- the cartoons, um, the movies. But uh, I, I'm wondering if I was glazed over because... When Donald Glover made his appearance as the Prowler, I popped. Like, I was, I was on cloud nine for the rest of the movie because – are you familiar with how Miles Morales came to be? A little bit. Okay, so back to my argument earlier about how I don't like shitty writing and I like organic chemistry when it comes to, to writing. Like, don't just make Iceman gay because you want to make the gay community happy. If I was in the gay community, I would find that offensive that they would think I'm that stupid to buy the comic books because now Iceman's gay. I would I would rather have an organic character that was created out of out of uh, ingenuity and, and and love and and true respect for the audience. Like, don't just like I didn't think like that's why I didn't feel like they offended when they made Domino black fucking great it was it was organic it was beautiful i didn't feel like they were pandering to someone in in, a fit in in talking down to the audience 
Miles I mean, Morales. If you get to, like, in a writing aspect, if you look at, like, character development tropes, right? If your character was just gay, and I'm just using that as an example. Right, right, right. But if, if your character was just gay, where do you develop that character if that's all they are? Well, that's a that's a that's a that's a whole other that's a whole other tangent there because then if you base a character on their sexuality alone, uh, that, that's that's just bad writing. Um, it, like I have I've had really flamboyant friends. I'm like, okay, dude, I get it, dude, you're gay. Uh, that's fine. Just like don't shove it down my throat. Um, but then I've no, had friends. I, I'm the type of person that I can admit. Like I, I want to know more about you. I don't want to just know your sexuality. Agree. I want to know more about you. What do you what do you do for a living? What do you do for fun? You know, what do you are like you, to eat? What do you like to drink? What's your favorite beer? What's your favorite cocktail? Exactly. You know, are you a good person? <laughs> like, and and uh, centering around the sexuality or, or race, I think is just bad writing. Uh, if if you make a black character, great, make him badass, make her a badass, make him gay. I don't give a shit, but don't just turn something to pander to people. The other thing is what I'm getting to is if you're not familiar with this, I think you're going to love this story, is the reason Miles Morales came to be was uh, at the time Brian Michael Bendis was writing Ultimate Spider-Man. And in a – he watched an interview with Donald Glover who is one of my favorite comedians. Uh, he's one of my favorite rappers. I think the guy's just a genius in his own right. He was in I an love interview. Childish. What was that? I love Childish Gambino. Oh, he, he's, he's, he's just a great guy and – he, in an interview that Bendis watched, they asked him, like, well, what would you think would be cool to see? And he's like, I want to see a black Spider-Man. Not, not make Spider-Man black all of a sudden, but I want to see a black Spider-Man. Bendis, this fucking light goes off in his head. Next thing you know, a year later, we've got Miles Morales. And they, they're pretty close to what happened in the, in the Ultimate Spider-Man movie um, with, with, with Miles Morales. But uh, because Donald Glover said that, it inspired him to make a wonderful African-American um, character. And I'm so invested in him. And it, it, I don't see Bendis being like, he's right, there's a black community out there I need to get money from. I should make a black Spider-Man. No, he saw a real artist inspire him. And because of that, Miles Morales is on the fucking map, man. And, and it, 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 there's only up with Miles right now. Like, I can't wait for the second movie. I've got all the original first appearances of him, his first series. Um, I'm trying to think of why I even brought this up. I, I guess I just got really excited. I wanted to tell you something I knew. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. Uh, it, it just makes me happy to have this sort of conversation where we're having that tête-à-tête. Like, exactly, writing tropes. Because it's just so. It's just become so bland after a while when you just when you change a character. For, for no explanation. Right. I, I mean, I get it through retcons and stuff like that. I mean, God, I can't remember his name, but I loved the Black Green, the Black Green Lantern. I, like, I watched Justice League every freaking day, and I, I loved that character. He's a really good character. I've got his McFarlane and action figure, the, man. The relationship tropes he had with Hawkgirl and stuff like that, it was, it was wonderful. But to change a character just just to try to appease to a certain audience, just kind of, I don't know, like, it, it does, it doesn't fall flat, you know, like, it's, it's, I mean, everything should be able to be enjoyed by everyone. Agreed. But, you know, I just feel weird when you pander to just, like, 
one certain sect of society. I feel like you're. I feel like doing so is is disrespecting them because you're. I feel like it's just a cash grab at that point. And and then and then you've got bigger problems. You realize now that you and I are going to be talking about character development and writing literally every fucking show I hang out with you at right now. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. One of these days, I'm going to snap a picture of you while you're up there in your DJ booth wearing your glasses. <laughs> And I'm going to make it into one of those memes where it's like, Mom, can we have Skrillex? And it's like, we have Skrillex at home. This is going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. All right. You can have it. You can have it. I'm gonna, all right. You got one. You got one. All right. But <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I am way bigger and way tougher and way cooler than Skrillex. God damn it. <laughs> no, it was just it's the way your hair fell. And like we were looking up at you from down on the ground. And I saw your glasses on, and I'm like, it's. I think I either made the comment of like, it's, it's, it's wish DJ Skrillex, <laughs> or something like that. All right, you, all right, dude. I love getting roasted. You got to do it. You got to do it for a minute. It'll make me feel loved. Um, while we wind down here, man, uh, I just noticed something, and it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. How. How bad would you be at character development as a wrestler if you didn't learn it? And all the books you read, and all the comic literature that you immerse yourself in, and then developing your characters as a, a, a in, in Pathfinder and D D. So, admittedly, without the without the ideas or or stuff like that that I've been able to pull from from the the media that I I, I choose to imbibe, I'd say that. Because like this is a wrestling thing that, that kind of bugs me, is that, and I don't know if you noticed this, but like Kenny Omega brought it up recently, and Brian Zane has brought it up within the last few years, and it's that there's no more characters in wrestling. Yep. There's just gimmick. You know, here's this guy. He wrestles, and tonight he's gonna verse this other guy who wrestles, and that's their whole character trope is that they wrestle, and at a certain point it just. Like, for me, it just kind of, like, clicked. It just snapped. And I went, oh, my God. There's no more characters in wrestling. Like, the, at the time, when I think Brian Zane was talking about it, the only, like, real characters in wrestling were, like, Goldust and The Undertaker. And everyone else was just guy who wrestles. That was a hard pill to swallow when he said that, because he was right. He was right, because there's little character development. There's... Okay, now you guys are in a feud now. Wait, wasn't I in a feud with this guy last week? What what happened to that? Well, I mean, and that that's a whole different thing with the whole changing the feuds and stuff like that. We'll get into that in a minute or at another time. But, like, as far as, like, characters go, you know, like, uh, The Fiend really intrigues me because it's something different. It's something new. Um, Abaddon really intrigues me because it's something different. It's something new. It's It's not... You know, not to shout out names, but it's not like, oh, here comes Seth Rollins, and tonight he's going to burst Daniel Bryan, and they're both guys who wrestle. Right. Let's get it on. <laughs> I'm and I mean, it's not to say that there's not, like, story there, but what makes me invested in a character, um, you know, even though I just call him out for being a guy who wrestles, is like, you know, I was really, really, really invested in the in the B-plus player thing with Daniel Bryan going into WrestleMania 30. Because it wasn't 
talking about him being just a wrestler. It was talking about him being a wrestler that that corporate feels doesn't fit the mold of the wrestler they want. Right. You know, and they're ignoring the people because, you know, Randy Orton or Batista is the wrestler that they want. No, that's so a- to me, watching him build up to that point was amazing. Whereas, you know, more recently with Rollins and the Beast Slayer thing, I wasn't as invested because it just, you know, whoop de doo you, you know, you beat Brock, Brock Lesnar in five minutes with outside interference from Strowman. And didn't we just watch this last year with Goldberg? And uh, it's not, it's kind of boring. It's extremely boring, man. I actually only made it like maybe 35 minutes into SummerSlam and I said no. I said no and then I immediately turned on uh, it, like the, the one thing, in, not to deviate too far, but I went ahead and put on the, the, the reason I resubscribed wasn't to watch SummerSlam. It was to watch all the uh, progress that they put on uh, – uh, for, forgive me, uh, the progress from, from the UK, they, they put all the, the prod- progress footage on there. The progress is one of my, uh, before AEW uh, it was even a, a thought, progress and New Japan and uh, New, and Pro Wrestling Gorilla was like everything to me. And now that I've got more access to progress, that's why I got it. And I, it, I, I just like we were talking about with bad writing and comic books, I feel offended when they expect me that that this is what this is what I spent my money on. Like, okay, some people would say ten dollars is no big deal, ten bucks. I worked for that was a whole hour of my fucking life. Like, and and this is what they're expecting me to to choke down and and I feel talked down to. And I don't feel that way with AEW. I feel like I feel like they cater to. And I I think you might have heard me say this. I say it all the time to everyone. Is that we're all gypsies and carnies. We're gypsies and carnies, and, and we like our history, we like our lore, and we don't like being disrespected. And it's not happening in Colorado, that's for goddamn sure. Well, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, you're actually looking at two completely different animals. Agreed. And, you know, AEW is going to cater to the hardcore wrestling fan. Agreed. And if that's, you know, whether that's successful or not, you know, considering the current climate of the actual world around us is, is neither here nor there. Because until, you know, admittedly on both shows, until a live audience, like a real live audience, can be incorporated into the fold again, people aren't going to find it as entertaining. And because that was the creepiest thing about WrestleMania to me this year was no crowd. It was it was empty. It was silent. It hurt. It hurt. And so to me, you know, AEW caters to the hardcore wrestling thing because they have all of these wrestlers that for a long period of time, you know, people wanted to see get something. No, I mean, you can't have a title change every month. Right. doesn't make sense and everything else. And that's that's a part where I kind of disassociate with a lot of modern wrestling fans. 
is not everyone can have a title. Not everyone Love needs a title. Not everyone can have a title. Not everyone needs a title. Some people are so over they don't need a title. Well, I mean, you know, no knock to CM Punk, but he had a championship match with Chris Jericho at 28, remember? Of course I do. And as much as I hate to say it, as a fan, I was more interested in seeing the match between John Cena and The Rock than I was in seeing the match between CM Punk and Chris Jericho. Because one of those matches I knew I could watch on regular TV, and the other one I was only going to get on that pay-per-view. At least that's how it was built. It's the only time this is happening. One time only. Okay, I get get where you're coming from, because back in the day, you weren't seeing belts change on on TV unless something wacky happened, like, you know, the day they turned the – everyone changed the channel. Um, Like, they made you think so, but – Unless you had the pay-per-view and it was going to be one time only, it was so much. It was so much more special. Exactly, and so you know, with that in mind, WWE caters to the casual fan. It's not the person that it's the person that might buy a ticket to go see the live event when they're in town. It's that person that's going to that will buy the ticket to Raw when they're in town, and they can watch every week. So, like. As much as it used to, like, pain wrestling fans and all the booing and stuff like that for Roman Reigns, you know, you have to realize that at the time when Roman Reigns was getting those massive boos from the adult audience, he was second behind only John Cena in t-shirt sales amongst youth. Agreed. All my, all my younger That's, friends were huge Roman fans, and I didn't understand it. That was massive, and, you know, for any... Anybody coming up in the business, a piece of advice that I was I was given, and especially if you're looking to be like babyface, get the kid. Don't worry about the wrestling fan. Get the kid. If you can get the kid, you'll get the wrestling fan. You'll get the adults. Yeah. I like that. That's- I like that a lot. What else you got? What other what are random wrestling tidbits you got there, Cappy? You hiding from me? Ah. <laughs> uh, Tuck your chin. <laughs> yes. Tuck your chin. Uh, careful where your fingers land and your toes. Uh, don't uh, don't ever antagonize Damon Ace in the ring in between shows. Uh, <laughs> um, Do a Wu Tang set. Protect your neck. Protect your neck. <laughs> last last question I got for you, Cappy. How do you feel about Goldberg being a being a Bret Hart fan? I, I need to hear a thought-out process on this one because I hate Goldberg because of what he did. I don't. I, I never thought Goldberg was a wrestler. So just like I made you think with the Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming, I'm going to make you think about Goldberg here a little bit, That's okay? What I want. Give it to me. Give it to I me. Don't, I don't hate Goldberg. I can't hate Goldberg. And you have to look at the context of why I can't hate Goldberg. Give it to me. And it's, if you look at WCW at the time of Goldberg uh, and the 176 and O streak leading up to that, um, you know, to him losing the title into Ash and then, you know, the dropping of the title and then the, the, the tournament to determine uh, the champion and, you know, and then the consequent, you know, the, the match with Brett 
after he won the belt for ben, with Benoit before they formed the new NWO is you have to go all the way back to when Goldberg started. Now, if you remember, he was a football player, right? Of course. And then he got brought into the fold with very of professional wrestling when he couldn't play football anymore. With very little training. Exactly. Because even Diamond Dallas Page and everybody else, when you hear them talk about the power plant, it's not always positive. No. Yeah, we love Sarge and we love the training, but you know, we were really rushed and things weren't brought over as quickly. And you know, the three really names you remember coming out of the school are Goldberg, Diamond Dallas Page, and the Giant, or as we know now, the Big Ship. And when they all made, you know, except for Diamond Dallas Page, who really got, you know, really got really good in the ring because he was allowed to work with guys like Savage and, and stuff like that to really help bring him up. You know, you have Goldberg who's going out doing five-minute squashes with, with you know, Lodi and all of these mid-to-low Carter guys that, you know, nobody really cares about. Right. And... You know, the giant who's going out and working programs with, like, you know, one of his first programs was with Hogan before the NWO. So you have all these guys that are going to the power plant and they're getting pushed out and they're not trained properly. So when he threw that straight kick, I just knew, like, this guy's not trained properly. That's what pisses me off, man, is that they were they let him be in the ring with a professional and that wasn't trained, and that's, that's... Well, I mean, that's the thing, though. You have to remember, it's not it's not necessarily always Goldberg's fault. It's just... And everybody will tell you this, you know, don't operate outside your wheelhouse. Stay in your lane. Yeah, not necessarily stay in your lane. Not necessarily stay in your lane. It's just if you feel unsafe about doing a certain move, don't do it. Like with uh, Owen in, in Stone Cold. Exactly. Pile drivers are huge on that list. Huge. Because there is such an added risk with drivers. Especially when you're dropping to your butt and not to your knees. That that hurt. It, or it doesn't even matter, man, because no matter what, you could land that person just wrong and immediately they have a broken neck and you can end not only their career, but you could end their life. Right. Well, help me. Help and that's me, a, Help me understand more. You're, you're saying that. You're saying that it's not necessarily. I, sh, I shouldn't be hating too much on Goldberg right now because the power plant didn't give him enough training, and he was thrown out there and made to do things he wasn't exactly ready to do. Well, I mean, if you were, well, no, it's just it rushed the product. And they put him on such a pedestal to start his career. And um, did you ever watch the Goldberg special on the network? Of course I did. Like he even talks about it. Like it felt so rushed and they kept him so private and everything else that he started to develop that real personality. I thought he was just trying to mask that that was his real personality and trying not to look like such an asshole after the fact. No, like, because they kept him, they kept him secret, they kept him guarded. I mean, nobody has 176 wins before gaining a loss, you know, because everything we do is protected. 
Right. So they're going to protect the guy coming in, and they're going to, you know, the way the power plant is, is it basically just, it, it was a fast track. We're going to get this guy in, and we're going to train him for a little bit, and because he was an Atlanta Falcon, we need to get him on TV super, super fast. Right. So he was super, life. super clean when he started, and at that point, it was like 97. They wrestled in 99. He'd only have like two years ring experience. So it wouldn't necessarily be outside the realm of possibility for him to make that ex- extremely green mistake there was a, of uh, throwing that straight. There was a concept I learned in uh, when I was in college in English writing classes that you can't just look at an idea at the front. Like, like, like imagine a car coming at you. Like you can't just look at that car as an idea coming at you. You have to imagine it like a sphere. You have to look at it from every angle possible. Why is it driving to you? Uh, how did it get there? What's its purpose? Uh, what is the intention of the driver? In, in which case, you're right. I'm being ignorant. I, all I saw was a green wrestler knocking out one of my heroes and effectively ending his career. And then I was done. I was done. I, I refused to look at everything else. And I didn't. I never thought about it that way, man. Like the, you, gave, you give me like six different points from a different axis. Like you added the the z axis to the x and y of when I look at certain aspects of wrestling. So I appreciate that. And I, you're gonna have to come back. So everything, like everything involved around everything, it's not even just wrestling or, or storytelling, anime, comic books, anything. Everything always has like this reverse perspective. And what's, what's crazy about it is that what everybody gets is, is two things. It's tunnel vision and rose-colored glasses. Uh, tunnel vision in that you only focus on that negative aspect. Right? right. So, like, you don't see, like, the good that's coming out of it. Like, you know, we used Roman Reigns as an example. You know, you looked at it as the aspect of well, I didn't want Roman Reigns to be the champion because I didn't want it. And you're screaming boo at the kid next to you in the seat without realizing, like, that kid's wearing the Roman Reigns vest and, and, and the glove, and that's his hero. He looks up to him, you know? That's somebody who's defying the odds. And he's looking at, that kid is looking at it from different aspects. You know, and then the other portion of this is rose-colored glasses work nostalgia glasses because everybody always wants everything to be what it was without anticipating it to be what it could be Cappy you're going to have to come on my comic show often <laughs> you, like I remember thinking about this earlier uh, in the week that me and my best friend we, we're pretty fight clubby about everything like one of us is Tyler, one of us is Jack every week, but regardless, like, we're, we're not, we don't have anyone challenging our ideas. I was listening to Rogan, and he's like, yeah, if you're not around people that are saying, hey, dude, you're, what you're saying is kind of bullshit right now. Like, we need to talk about this. Um, we haven't had anyone give us that in a while. Um, if I give you a couple issues um, of what we're doing in a couple of days, uh, if, or, or later on in the week or in a month, whatever you want, 
Um, would you want to be a guest on the on the comic show to bring some extra perspective? I mean, like, you you have not you, you've granted me, you've listened to me spew some bullshit. You said, or, or or just you just disagreed with me, and you weren't rude about it. But you also showed me yours, and then like because you gave me that sort of respect, I was able to listen to you. And I can't tell you how appreciative of it I am, man. Well, I mean, to break that down for people not understanding this, this is the process of debate and argument. It doesn't, it doesn't do me any honor or any dignity or anything else. And I know I even contradicted myself in this episode when I said that, you know, when I think of the vulture, you know, I think of this villain and Michael Keaton doesn't fit the bill of that villain. When I talk about like nostalgia glasses, and but I know not, I contradicted myself. You're not married but at the to the ideas. You're not married in the process to of in the process of debate. It doesn't do me any good to just insult you, attack you, insult you. Uh, you know, and what I'm arguing isn't that you know I think you're an idiot. It's I'm arguing that you know look at it from this perspective. So you get a different set of eyes on the product or idea or character that we're talking about. I didn't realize I was needing that sort of thing. I thought I had a pretty good palette, but you, I appreciate how respectful you are. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on the show, man. This has been some of the best two hours of my life talking comics like this, because this is, this is, this is what I live for. Like people will stop me and like, Oh, what do you think about this comic book? Or what do you recommend for my kid? I'll tell them. But it's not this sort of con- – this is what I live for. I want in – goddamn, like what time are you getting there, man? We'll hang out. <laughs> we got two weeks. We got two weeks. You're always wearing a mask. I'm not sure whether I should shake your hand because I always ask them, are you cool with a handshake? Do you want a hug? I mean we got our mask on or whatever. I just want to make sure I make sure you feel comfortable because everyone's got their own bit of a COVID phobia. Um, me, I've long well, – It's just the only political thing I'll talk about. Go for it. Right now, masks. It's the only political thing I'll talk about. And as far as masks are concerned, I look at it in two ways, right? Uh, being a football fan, it's not like anybody's asking me to wear an Eagles jersey or a Raiders jersey. Sorry, I'm like a Broncos fan. So, you know, putting on the mask is just, it's, it may be a minor inconvenience, but I'll wear it. And the way, the way I look at it is it's not so much whether it's a preventative measure or anything else like that. Putting on that mask is showing respect for my fellow man. That I value their life and their their choices, their their things, and to wear that mask and show that certain respect that I believe that humans and other people have should have the opportunity to live, the chance to live, and to me, like that's 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 the only you know the, the biggest reason you should be wearing a mask. I don't want to hear that they don't stop the transmission or the, 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 no. It's just respect for your fellow man. Agreed. Agreed. Just just respect people. And it, this whole COVID thing is like, it's the opposite of 9-11. 9-11 brought us together. Uh, this one is dividing us. It's dividing and it's conquering us. And then, like, I'm wearing a mask because, I, I don't want to get my family sick. Uh, I most importantly don't want to get anyone sick. If I get sick, I'll probably be fine. Um, but I don't want to give it to anyone and kill them. The other thing is, is I certainly don't want uh, – I'm doing it because – I don't like wearing the mask, but I wear it anyway. But it's so weird. When I, I, are you looking at me because I look like some goth gay guy, and you don't like me, or are you looking at me because I'm wearing a mask and you think I'm some sheep? 
when all I'm trying to do is just respect you. And it, it, it's, it's, it's the goddamnedest thing. That's the best I could say. It's the goddamnedest thing. There's no winning. There's no fucking losing. It, well, we're all losers. We're all losers in it because it, it, there's, no, there's no discourse. It's just me versus them or them versus you. And it, it shouldn't be like that. And the, 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 the one political thing I, I will say... Um, is that you cannot keep the American spirit down. We live free and we die free. And it sucks that some people are making some pretty harsh choices left or right, but we're still Americans and we, our way of life is being threatened right now. Oh, awesome constantly and our way of life is beautiful we love each other i mean just like if if you want to you know we can put straws on it but like you want to see americans go to a go to a fourth of july party everyone's got american flag shirts on everyone is brothers everyone's having hey drink this hey, come over here we've got this grill going or go to a broncos go to a broncos fucking tailgate party we all got the same colors on we're bros we're cool right you're at a wrestling show you run you're wearing my boy shirt we're friends now <laughs> Like it, it's like it's 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 wonderful, and I'm so honored to have this conversation with you, Cappy Man. Oh, it's been a pleasure. How do we uh, how do we find you on uh, on Instagram and Facebook and all the uh, social medias? Alrighty, so on Insta, so on uh, Facebook, it's uh, uh, Facebook page is Dread Captain Stevens. Okay. Uh, Instagram and Twitter is the same thing, Dread Captain SC. And that's about all the social media I have. I don't have, like, TikTok or anything else like that. I just... Twitter, Insta, Facebook. Who's ass are you whooping at the yeah. next CSW show? Was that again? Who's ass are you whooping at the next CSW show? <sighs> See, if you... I know you remember, so... I, I want to I I hear something. Give me something. September. It's Cormac Battle. A month later, I had my rematch, and I lost that rematch due to some, you know, shenanigans and cheating. And then the next month, uh, I wrestled Eric Angel, right. and I was this close, so close to beating Eric Angel before getting hit in the back by a chair by who thought was my best friend Johnny Crash. So, out of all the all the members of the UWO have been everybody except Eric Angel. And I'll even go farther than just CSW. I've never beaten Eric Angel in Colorado. So, for me, this match means so much more than just, just the title. This is, this is the last member of the UWO. This, this is where I finally... And the war. This is, the, this is supposedly the last battle to me. This, this, and all I have to do is make it past Eric Angel. And then, then that heavyweight title real to me. Because I'll be through with the UWO. I just have to beat their leader. I love it. I love it. Happy. It has been a pleasure. Minefields, thanks you. You're going to be on the show quite often for comics, by the way. I hope you're uh, free. Uh, we'll, we'll let you know because we're going to need some outside perspective. But uh, uh, don't hang up. Guys, this Minefields transmission is over.
This is dangerous. Don't hang it up. Hmm. 